0: Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today, we're sharing four 10-minute interviews with different Canadian authors, all jam-packed into this one episode. And I noticed earlier this year that a number of respected leaders and pastors and voices from across Canada were all releasing books all around the same time. And so we thought it would be a great idea to sit down with each of them, hear the heart behind what they've written, and have it shared with us in this format. So I'm really excited for you to hear from each of them You're going to get to hear from Aaron White, who's uh, who leads 24 seven Prayer Canada. Lives here in Vancouver. Does a lot of work on the downtown east side. And he's written a book called Recovering, and the subtitle is From Brokenness and Addiction to Blessedness and community. You're going to hear from Alistair Stern. He's the lead pastor of St. Peter's Fireside in Vancouver, and he wrote a book that was actually formed in his church uh, through their own journey of spiritual formation called Rhythms of Life. We're going to hear from Andy Steiger, who was the young adult pastor at Northview Community Church for a number of years and leads Apologetics Canada, and his book is called Reclaimed. And lastly, we're going to hear from Brett Allman from Ajax, Ontario, and he's written a book on parenting i love chatting with each of these guys and i know you're going to enjoy it so let's jump into our first conversation with aaron white well hey aaron it is such a pleasure to have you with us today for those that don't know you give us like a little window into your life you live an exciting life to say the least and i've just loved getting to know you just tell us a bit of the different bits and pieces that make up your world
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It it looks exciting, I think, from the outside, from the inside. People say, what does your daily day look like? I'm like, well, you know, I get up and I have a coffee and then see what, you know, what hits me. But um, I I oversee 24-7 Prayer Canada. I've been working with 24-7 Prayer really since um, 2000 or 1999 when it first kicked off in the UK. Uh, Was with the Salvation Army for most of my life and uh, pastor in the downtown Eastside. I've lived in the downtown Eastside of Vancouver the last 17 years, raised my family here, and I live in community in a big old community home with 13 people and a dog and a cat and a turtle and other animals uh, kind of that we didn't invite in. Um, and, uh, and then also work with Jacob's Well, which is a local faith community uh, down here, just a block away from my house near Oppenheimer Park, and uh, just kind of doing theology and prayer and life and food and stuff with, with our neighbours. So when people say, what do we do? I think the calling on my life is to pray and to cause others to pray. But I think the calling Mm. on us as a community is to pray and to be good neighbors. And that's what we've been seeking Mm. to do, messing up gloriously and heroically over the last 17 years. But but actually with lots of grace from our neighbors, uh, seeking to live that out.
0: Hmm. For those that aren't familiar with the different aspects of the downtown east side, can you just give us a window into... What makes that space unique and special and eclectic?
1: Yeah. People often describe the downtown east side in ways that I don't like, um, because it is our home. It's our neighborhood. And uh, it's a place where I have seen the, the gospel known and lived uh, and, and loved more than any other place I've ever been. Um, mm. but the, the surface and it goes deep too. Uh, realities of the downtown east side is, is significant pain, um, mm. homelessness, addiction, poverty, um, the sex trafficking. Um, all that stuff is real. It's it's true. Um, you know, it's it's called the the poorest postal code in Canada, sometimes North America. It has the highest uh, intravenous drug use rate in the Western world, and these kind of things. Um, you know, from the eighties on, there's been a massive housing crisis and mental health crisis mm-hmm. and drug crisis, uh, and all these things coming together to form a very unique community, but one where Jesus is. So when we first came to the downtown side, as many people do, we thought, well, we're going to come and bring Jesus here. And we're somewhat, you know, not discouraged, but surprised to find that Jesus was already here. People <laughs> already knew him. Turns and out. So oh, not, Yeah, now what are we going to do? Um, but it turns out to be a phenomenal place to meet Jesus and to go mm. deeper with Jesus. And so that's why we've stayed. And uh, so we just, you know, seek to love our, our neighbors, very eclectic and unique and beautiful neighbors yeah. in that way. And when people come to visit now, I just give them tours of beauty. I just say where the mm. beauty is in this neighborhood. So.
0: Hmm. well i appreciate you so much one of the things that stands out to me about you is this unique mix of your your pastor who's led church before planted church You're a practitioner like you're deeply theological insightful philosophical you're a writer and thought leader but you live it it comes out of a deep place of um living into the story that you're trying to tell with pen with paper with every part of your life and you're someone who takes prayer seriously and um you have a contagious effect on people and it's to pray more, love God more. And um, there's so many things I'd love to chat with you about for those listening. If you don't know about 24-7 prayer, take a deep dive. We'll have links to it in our bio. You don't have to, in, in the show notes, you don't have to go there though. You can just Google 24-7 prayer Canada. You'll find tons. I've been deeply impacted by Pete Gregg, who's founder of it. But I want uh, just to take a bit of time to chat about this book that's just recently come out that you wrote, Aaron. This feels like... Um, I really feel like this is a book that is shaping my thinking. It's called Recovering. The subtext is from brokenness and addiction to blessedness and community. And lots could be said about this book. I want to ask you why you think this message of this book is timely and important for pastors to be thinking about today. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I mean, again, sort of a surface answer to that is we are in the midst of a health crisis. Uh, let's call it a health crisis, an opioid crisis. So here in BC, you know, during this whole lockdown COVID stuff, um, which is real and, and dangerous, and we have to take that seriously. But we, the numbers of, of deaths to COVID have just utterly paled to the number of deaths to overdose. Mm-hmm. Like it's like 175 to four on some months. And this so is that, just here in British Columbia, right? Just in British Columbia, yeah. yeah. And and uh, and and that been people have been paying a little bit of attention, but this has been going for three years of just staggering levels of death. We've been involved in so many funerals of people mm-hmm. who've died, according to the, uh, from these opioids. That's a reality that we have to deal with, and that every pastor in Canada has to accept that it's not something. It's not another place. It's not just the downtown East side where this is happening. Um, in fact, most of the deaths typically are not in the downtown East side. They're mm-hmm. in other places in BC because people down here use outside or in, in sort of relatively safer places. And people bring, I have a friend who's brought two people back to life in the last three weeks um, with, with Naxalone. So, um, you know, it, it's a reality everywhere. There are people in your congregation who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, but the deeper point of the book is that we tend to separate drugs and alcohol from all of our other attachments and addictions. And they actually come from the same place. Hmm. So, so recently, you know, God has been really calling me to minister to pastors. And I didn't particularly want to do it because I'm very comfortable with drug addicts and drug (laughs) dealers and we're the worst prostituted people. You know, I'm very comfortable with that around around my table. Absolutely bring it in. But senior pastors, that's a bit tougher. Um, Yeah, but but I've discovered that You know, 25 years of working with people in addictions and recovery has perfectly prepared me to work with pastors, and and Mm -hmm. and that's not just a joke. That's that's for real because there are these deep level attachments, and isolation and pain. Because addiction ultimately is an issue of unprocessed pain, and really the Mm -hmm. church should be the place, a place for sure, where we have something to offer there. But quite often, even at the top levels, at the innermost places of the church, we have people who are staggering under the weight of their own addictions and attachments and have nobody to talk to and don't know of spiritual resource to help them. And, and I believe that spiritual resource has been given to us by Jesus mm-hmm. and meant to be in the church and we're not living it out. And so my, my heart cry is for churches to start forming the type of communities that I think Jesus wants for us, which is actually the, the type of communities that meets the human need around pain, addiction, and
2: attachment.
0: Mm-hmm. As I've been reading it, one of the things I felt like it's done for me, well, let me just say a few things. One is the stories are gripping and you're drawing from just that life of living amongst a broad, diverse community. And it's just the stories are really inspiring and and dynamic to read, makes it easy to read. But it's actually a really robust theological book as well. And I think what you've, you're, you're providing and why I think it's, it's really important for people to read it is it's like theological and philosophical scaffolding for an issue that we can't ignore, but have had a difficult, uh, difficult time placing mm. because addiction is, you know, whether it's in like the traditional sense of addiction, drugs, alcohol, but or the types of addictions that we're seeing whether digital addiction, all these things. And its effect on the community of God's people, the promise of God's healing power, but not seeing it always like a snap and someone's fixed. This is a theological scaffolding that is more robust and holistic that's actually helping me make sense of something that I haven't had places for. And uh, that's why it's such a gift and just appreciate this work so much. Um, As you were writing this book, um, one of the other things that stood out to me is just how you honored all the people that you talk about. Mm. You know, you just were so delicate with people's stories. I just wanted to honor you for doing that and the way you did that. And uh, I imagine this, like this book, probably feels like something you wrote with a bigger group. Hey, like there's this over the last 15 years of your life.
1: Yeah. Well, and if and if I hadn't, I don't think it would be legitimate. Uh, hmm. I, I think we, you know, one of the, the key takeaways I think right at the very beginning of the book is we we must learn to listen. Um, hmm. I have never personally um, taking illicit drugs. You know, I, I, I've not been a drug addict or alcoholic. I've had my own attachments for sure, but, but I haven't done that, but I've worked with people in that place for forever. And, and, uh, people ask, well, how do you, how do you know this? And I just said, well, because I've listened to some amazing teachers, thousands of teachers, uh, people who've been walking through this spiritual journey in ways that mm-hmm. I often haven't seen in, in church. Um, You know, they've they've been really examining their hearts and their resentments and their bitternesses and and also the ways that they've harmed people. And they do this deep work of of, you know, asking God to set them free and asking God to help them make amends and and keeping working. And, you know, it's it's astounding. So, you know, I, I, I do honor them. And, and I want to hear from them, not in a way that, as I described in the book, not in a way that weaponizes their story, mm-hmm. emotionally weaponizes, because that happens a lot, not in a way that pedestals anyone, because that's incredibly dangerous, but, but with snapshots of stories that are real and true and get, and are very raw. And, um, you know, I've done, I did seminary and, and often when I was talking with people in seminary, something, you know, the thought would float to my mind. Have you ever spoken to a real person? Because sometimes we get so lost in the ether, the theological or philosophical ether, that we forget that that's not going to work. That doesn't actually relate to the person who's right in front of you. But there must be a way of thinking about God, a theology that does. Because God took on human flesh. He knows our blood, sweat, suffering, tears. He knows all that. So there must be a way to actually do that, to connect. And, And I would say as I'm writing the book, as I was writing the book, I would say I'm trying to get people to listen to like Gregory of Nyssa, fourth century Cappadocian father, and my friend Rob, who's been addicted to crystal meth for a lot of years. You know, I want, because they're saying similar things and Mm -hmm. we have to learn to listen to both.
0: Well, I'm so grateful for you, not just for the work of this book, um, but for growing friendship, uh, for your investment in this city that I really love and for the work of 24-7 prayer. And I just feel like There are so many churches that are experiencing God's favor because the soil has been tilled in prayer, Mm. and I'm just so grateful for that. So thanks for your faithfulness and your friendship, and I'd love to have you back to chat more on an episode in the future.
1: Amen. I'd love to do that as well, and I I love what you're doing. Uh, And, you know, the more friends we have who are uh, listening to each other humbly and Honestly and genuinely, I think uh, the, the better off we're going to be and the, the more the mm. world will be able to see, look at how they love one another.
0: Well, hey, buddy, it is so good to have you here. For those that don't know you as well as I do, can you give us a little window into your world? In the last couple of years, what brought you to Vancouver and then ultimately where this book came from?
3: I'm Alistair. I am, uh, the founding and lead pastor of St. Peter's Fireside, which is a church plant in downtown Vancouver. Uh, service wise, we've just crossed seven years, but actual church planting, uh, we've been at it close to nine, uh, married, uh, to my wife who is an incredible, uh, clinical counselor. And part of church planting for us was, uh, starting a counseling studio in Vancouver. Wow. And, and she's brilliant at that. We've got two young daughters. Um, I'm uh, the chair for church planting in my denomination, the Anglican Network in Canada. So uh, quite involved there and uh, also uh, affiliated with Redeemer City to City in New York. And so I've done a lot of training with church planters using Tim Keller's material Center Church or the earlier versions of that and uh, have a passion for that. Just investing into church plants and having done it myself and and sharing all the things that you definitely shouldn't do, that kind of thing. Um, I love it. And so, uh, yeah, we live downtown uh, and, and trying our best to love this city and, and to love it well and yeah, the, the challenges that come with that.
0: Now, before Vancouver, where were you at?
3: Uh, so I grew up in Victoria, and I did my undergraduate in Vancouver, and uh, it was in graphic design. And then that took me to Orlando, Florida uh, to work at Relevant Magazine. And so I was their creative director for a while. And it was while I was in Florida – that I started discerning a call to church planting. Hmm. Um, The first church I ever joined, so I I became a Christian later in life. Uh, The first church I ever joined was a church plant in East Vancouver. And this was like during the emergent phase. I didn't know what emergent was, but uh, they met in a house on Tuesdays and didn't do anything on Sundays.
0: Wild, radical stuff.
3: Oh, radical. Uh, And essentially (laughs) it was like a really fancy community group. And uh, I loved it. I just fell in love. Wow. with the church and the, the pastor discipling me. And when I moved to Florida, uh, it was the first time I really went to a church that wasn't a house church. So, hmm. uh, actually AJ Cheryl, uh, who, um, he just wrote a book too, but, uh, he was the pastor of this church at the time and he had just taken wow. over from John Tyson. So it's a church called status and their website hmm. was, we are com, and, Oh uh, no, what's your status. And, uh, I just remembered, like my mind was blown. So I walked into this room and there was like 800 people and I'm used to hanging out with like 12 and there were lights and smoke and like epic music. And AJ just preached like a ripper of a sermon. And I was like, what, where am I? Like, this is America. (laughs) And, um, And so I found a a church a bit smaller and and connected with it. And the irony is like small was like 300 people. So like five, six years later, I'm still at that church and it's 5,500, you know? So I I have an interesting U.S. church experience, all very positive actually. Um, Mm, Cool. But I I just started going to seminary in the evenings, like as a hobby. I just, just, I love the Bible. I wanted to learn more. Uh, And March 11th, 2007, I just had this encounter with the Lord and, I I just, I knew he was calling me to preach that Jesus is alive and to give my Mm. life to that. So uh, I I started transitioning out of design and into ministry. And then, yeah, in 20, beginning of 2012, we moved to Vancouver to church plant.
0: It's amazing. And I think what stands out to me hearing your story and knowing you, this book rhythms for life, which I just can't encourage people more to grab hold of. It felt to me, and I know this is part of the story that this really came out of the real work of pastoring it didn't start as like oh, I want to write a book it started as I want to shape people and so I'd love just to hear a bit more about that
3: sure so we we're an anglican church we're we're what they would call low church so if if someone visited our church um most evangelicals are like this is way too catholic for me and then mm. like most like anglicans are like this is way too like low church for me i say that because we we felt this tension early on in the, the, the first few years of like, well, how do we draw upon this rich heritage of the book of common prayer? Like it's an incredible resource, but it's also like very hard to to learn and get mm-hmm. into. And so we created our own version of the daily offices of morning and evening prayer. And it was just this small booklet that we made and, and printed and it just like people loved it and, and mm-hmm. just started using it. It was unifying our church in morning and evening prayer. Uh, And so seeing its success, we thought, well, what's another resource from the Book of Common Prayer that we could draw upon for discipleship? And uh, there's two pages in the back of the Book of Common Prayer, like just tucked away on how to create a rule for life, Hmm. which comes out of the Benedictine tradition of of really naming what are your spiritual practices and, and committing to them. And I sat down with our team and I said, well, how do we how do we help? take spiritual practices like reading scripture, prayer, uh, confessing to friends or developing spiritual friendship, you name it and actually like connect it to the core issues mm. of formation. Cause it's one thing to say, like read your Bible, but it's another thing to read it in a way that it's forming you right. into who God made you to be. And so we, we wrote this book collaboratively as a team and the first half um, explores identity, gifts, uh, values, values, uh, roles and purpose. And and it's in light of who God made you to be that then you should start thinking, well, what spiritual disciplines do I need to thrive in Christ? Hmm. And so we talk about upward to God, inward to self, within community, and out in mission. And those are the four rhythms of our community groups, actually. And so um, what we did, though, is we wrote a version. This is three years ago. And then we got 20 or so people from our church and took them away on a retreat and went through the material and then had them fill out like a really detailed survey. And so we got about 70 pages of feedback on, Hmm. here's how this connected with me. Here's how it did not here's how it could be improved. Here's what I think you maybe should address or something you overlooked. And we revised, revised, revised so that the church was really helping us create material that they need for their context. And so we self-published it and then used it as like a short retreat system. I'm sure you're going to find out like when you ask Vancouverites to go on a retreat, if it's an overnight thing, like no one wants to do it. (laughs) So what we did is uh, a half day on a Sunday and then a full day the following week on a Saturday. So no one had to like spend the night anywhere. And like signups are like crazy. It was such a strange approach. But Mm. the material at that time was short enough we could do that. And that's what we've been doing for a few years. And um, Redeemer City City caught wind of this and um, wanted us to create a version that other churches could use. And we won this grant to rewrite it. And then InterVarsity Press picked it up. Mm. And what was awesome about rewriting it was we got to take, you know, at that time, two years of running it and all these stories that were coming out from it and, and like seeing some of the flaws of like, Hey, this could be better, uh, still. And, and I essentially rewrote the whole book. Mm. Uh, and then Intervarsity asked us to add a couple more chapters, uh, or at least expand it. And, uh, so what, what I'm really excited about the book is it is a product of the church for the church. Yeah. Um, I felt really weird about it, having my name on it. Cause it, it, it really is the book of St. Peter's Fireside. And hmm. um, I'm grateful to to have like stewarded it and written it, but I'm just telling the story and the approach of discipleship that's worked for us.
0: I love it. Uh, really grateful for you, inspired by your work here in Vancouver, really drawn to the task of forming and grateful that there's uh, literature that has been shaped the way you describe, because I think there is a propensity sometimes towards a book with a good idea being written outside the context of local church. And while it has good ideas, sometimes it just doesn't work in practice. It's going up and against, like you said, the different tensions that people feel about overnight retreats and practical things. And so I just think this is an incredible gift. We're going to make it really easy for people to find links to it. Uh, If people want to get to know you more, though, Alistair, like what's the best window? I know that your teaching content would be available on St. Peter's Fireside's website. Um, How else can we just find out more? Because you've got more to say. Uh, You're a good, good communicator, good writer. How do people find more of your stuff?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I write occasionally for for various sites. Um, I'm I'm actually a little bit of an online recluse. Like I do have a presence, (laughs) but like it's just not like I wrestle with it. And so, I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm mostly like making fun of hand gestures, though, and like talking about barbecue. Um, (laughs) So you know, Alistairstern.com. It exists and I, I I will plug that Rhythms for Life has a, a free work a digital companion. Oh, brilliant! That once again was designed and written by members of our community, so that it's like it's not just like here's a few questions to talk about the book, but like here's a deep formative process that if a, a small group of people want to read a book together but actually be deeply shaped and formed by the spirit, uh, use this material. It's it's fantastic and and it, it came out of my doctoral research, and so we're we're actually measuring a few beta groups that are using it. We're, we're taking these cool. measurements of what was their flourishing before? What is it after? And then we're measuring three months after to see like, did this have any correlated lasting change uh, in people? So I'm, I'm really hopeful about the, the formative effect. Of course, how it works out on the ground is always different than you envision, but yeah, um, that's a free resource and we'd love to get it in your hands. So it's at AlistairStern.com.
0: Beautiful. Well, hey, friends, I'm here with a buddy that I go way back with, uh, Andy Steiger, and you've probably heard of him before. He does a ton of amazing work with Apologetics Canada. He's an author, and he's been a pastor in the lower mainland for some time. And so, Andy, for those that don't know you as well as I do, can you give us a little window into your life and the work of Apologetics Canada?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, for those who don't know me, uh, I've been pastoring for 20 years, and I remember Back when I was pastoring in Coquitlam, and you and I went out for for lunch, and and our our friendship developed a long time ago, and it's been great to see how God. Can just I just make a comment your... on that lunch? Yeah, you
0: you <laughs> are so kind because I think I just told you all the reasons why I thought apologetics weren't important. You did you so actually, because <laughs> you know, because here's what it was. We'll just have this t- this tangent. I'm a big believer in apologetics. I was just part of a book project with you called Everyday Apologetics. I even contributed a chapter on exclusivity. <laughs> the irony has not Jay left. Yeah, me. <laughs> if 16-year-old Jay can really write out. But I, essentially, God had so moved in my heart that I'm like, it's just the power of God that changes lives. And you're like, yeah, totally. That's We're not saying it's not like that. But all I could hear is like the couple YouTube guys that I heard that are like, Always just about it's all intellectual, it's all intellectual. And God had moved so powerfully. And so you were actually, you and Chris Price, who are both contributors to the book Everyday Apologetics, were so pivotal for me because you guys came at it like pastors. You guys were saying, no, these are pastoral questions people are asking and evangelists. These are questions that are stopping people from entering into community, entering into a place where they can experience the presence of God. And uh, dude, you just patiently won me over and you didn't give up on me. So thank you very much. <laughs>
2: That's so good i I remember that good times as uh it's it's been interesting though you know to to see how how God's used this ministry, and I think one of the reasons why God has blessed it is because of that approach you're you're right there's some people out there that are, that are much more adversarial and antagonistic and and for those who don't know what apologetics is, the word comes from the Greek apologia and it and it's found in our bibles where for example, Peter tells us in first peter three fifteen to to give uh, an apologia, which means a reason or an answer, he says. And then he says, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, mm. and then to do so with gentleness and respect. So that's been our desire as, as a ministry is is to share the hope that we have in Jesus, to share that we have good reasons to, to have hope in Jesus, and then to do so uh, with gentleness and respect. So that, yeah, yeah I think Love that's it. so important, though, because a lot of people will misunderstand apologetics in that way. It, my understanding of apologetics is, is that apologetics is a tool in the discipleship tool belt. Mm. And, and I think particularly in our culture today, it's a really important one. And it's one of the reasons why I, I got into this ministry. I've never like saw myself as an apologist. You know, I didn't grow up thinking, man, one day I want to start an organization. You know, my heart's always been missions. And, and so I, I see myself very much as a missionary. I saw how many young mm. people were leaving the faith and particularly they were doing so just simply because the church wasn't helping them wrestle through the questions that they were dealing with. And And so as an organization, we come alongside churches and and help them uh, to understand the culture and to be able to uh, answer questions and to help people find faith in Jesus. And it's not just as an evangelistic thing, but also a personal thing for those people that are Christians uh, I want I want them to have good reason for their hope that their that their uh, foundation mm. in Jesus is strong and I actually think that that's mm. the first uh, importance of apologetics I think it's more about you than it is about evangelism if that makes sense does that make sense I think what I, I totally does I think what stands
0: out to me is I remember I don't know if it was the first year you guys did the conference or not um, apologetics Canada conference I the registration and the degree to which people came out just showed how much it's something people are thinking about within the church, mm-hmm. outside the church, looking for who's going to have a conversation about the question of suffering, who's going to have a conversation about some challenges with Old Testament violence. And the thing is, you know, you know, I work with Alpha and one of the hearts about Alpha is to create a safe place for people who may be typically outside the church to ask questions, but what we found doing Alpha Youth is that there's high school students within the church saying, where will I have a safe place to ask these questions? And so mm-hmm. people leave the church um, in their undergraduate. And the narrative is they met some evil professor who like deconstructed their faith. Well, truth be told, is actually they've been dealing with these doubts for a long time, but haven't had a safe place to discuss it. And it's not that the doubts are just satisfied by one one-hour lecture by mm-hmm. you know, Lee Strobel. However, to be in an environment where there are legitimate thoughts contributed, thoughtful people contributing to the conversation, say, I'm not the only one asking, you know, so you guys have done the conference, but you guys also have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some other arms of the ministries that people could connect in with Apologetics Canada?
2: Yeah. So like you said, we've been doing uh, events both in British Columbia and elsewhere across Canada, including uh, Ontario, such as in Toronto and Barrie. Uh, for the last 10 years. So we're we'll always be doing events. You'll see us. We got some new stuff coming up. We're actually going to be shaking things up because we've been doing it for the last 10 years. So there's going to be uh, some new events that we're going to be that we're going to be doing. Uh we also have a lot number of uh videos that we've created and will continue to create. Uh we created a, a resource that you can find on right now media called the thinking series. We also cool. have a new one that's launching called the Human Project. Uh, That's also on right now media. It'll be available in this next month. People can check that out. Uh, So there's lots of lots of videos that you can see as well from past conferences where we've got little snippets or full full like uh, talks on different subjects that people that people can check out. Amazing. Uh, I mean, those are some other things. A lot of uh, also um, books and different uh, scholarly works. So that's kind of one of the I guess an interesting thing that we do where Writing things at a popular level, but also writing uh, at an academic level as well. So I have uh, uh, I'm contributing in a new book that's coming out on the inherence of human dignity that'll be out in January. Uh, that's that's more of a technical work, and also um, stuff that we've written uh, for like the UN and other aspects. So kind of hitting at different levels, which is wow. really exciting. I'm amazed at that. the opportunities.
0: I love that God's brought you to that space. And I want to chat while I've got you for about the book coming out uh, called reclaimed. And so this is, you've written a number of books, but this is your most recent one. Uh, I love, I love the subtitle, how Jesus restores our humanity in a dehumanized world. I just think it's so profound. Can you just tell us a little bit about what drove you to choose this book this time?
2: Yeah, I was interesting. I started writing this book six years ago, and wow. the the way that it got started was I did a series of coffee shop talks in uh, Port Moody, which is here in British Columbia. And they the for the thinking series they went so well that the coffee shop owner made some money on it and said, "Hey, would you guys do another one of these coffee shop talks?" and And I'm like, "Sure, I'll do one more." And there was the zombie walk happening in Vancouver. They had had a number of these zombie walks and so I, I said, oh, okay, I'll talk on taming zombies and other evidence for the soul And in those talks and in since after that I did I actually interviewed zombies as a part of one of the zombie walks and and got got talking with people and started realizing two things. One is I realized that dealing with the subject of humanization and dehumanization is an opportunity to share the gospel because there's a lot of common, interests within our secular culture on issues of justice and issues of, you know, condemning dehumanization. But one of the real ironies in our culture today is there's plenty of books written on the dangers of dehumanization and there is virtually nothing on the subject of humanization, particularly in, uh, in our world today, the, the concept of how to explain what a human being is, uh, is without without god without appealing to something more than just you know random uh a random or determined universe there there's very there's very few options out there and so i i i also realize that there's a lot of danger in regards mm-hmm. to this so we know that dehumanization is bad we know that it leads to all sorts of horrific evils yet you know who's making the case for what humanization is, and what a human being actually is, and what will lead to compassion. You know what what will lead to us uh, seeing each other correctly. And so, mm. a lot of this then came out of my doctoral work. So I've I've just done five years of PhD work at, with Aberdeen University. Uh, just just coming out of that, my dissertation's been submitted, and a lot of my work. Uh, was looking at pre and post World War II with regards to the dehumanization that took place that mm. was happening from a scientific perspective, which a lot of people don't realize that that was the underbelly of all those horrific deeds that happened. The, the foundation was very scientific. And so th- the interesting aspect is, is we, we condemned a lot of, of you know, the acts that happened but the foundation is still there. There's still mm. huge issues in our secular culture and the ways in which uh, we see the world that have that that are that are really concerning that are dehumanizing mm. and, and need to be addressed and and so my argument is that a lot of the polarization that we're seeing in our world today and a lot of the the uh, cultural uh, issues. I mean, I'm from the United States, and my family are still there, so I, I've got like this Canadian-American uh, experience, and so I, I see how split they are down in the U.S., but I also see how split and divided we are here in Canada. And the uh, the way, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is, is one of the things that starts to get concerning is the way that we're seeing each other hmm. is not is not good, and every time that we've seen acts of violence is always precipitated by uh, a lack of of seeing each other a lack of seeing our humanity Wow, that that's kind of that kind of gets into a bigger conversation but i so appreciate that and i just love i love the contribution you've continued to
0: make um through video uh, through writing. And I'm really excited for people to get their hands on this book. Thank you for the work you're doing, man. And uh, I'm, we'll make sure everyone can easily find links to both the book and the work with Paul Jex Canada. It's a great podcast, great resources and appreciate you a ton, man.
2: Yeah, thank you, Jason. Appreciate it.
0: Well, hey, Brett, it is really special to sit down with you. You are one of those guys that I think I've run into At random events across Canada, more than I don't know if there's anyone else. And it's always a pleasure to catch up. I love all the projects you've worked on. So many of them impacted me personally. And I'm really excited to introduce our listeners to another project that you've uh, just released. But before we talk about that, can you just tell those that maybe don't know you as well as I do, just a bit about yourself, kind of the work you've been doing for the last decade to serve churches across Canada? Uh, for sure. Uh,
4: so my name is Brett Ullman. I come from a town called Ajax. Uh, if you're in Ontario, you might know that east of Toronto, about 45 minutes. Uh, my home church is one called Sanctus. Uh, but I was a teacher for a decade. I taught with the Toronto District School Board, uh, trained for high school, spent most of my time teaching elementary, uh, rotary science to grade sevens and eights in inner city Toronto. And I left that when I was teaching and speaking. And suddenly speaking was a full-time job and teaching was a full-time job. So I left teaching 15 years ago and I've been full-time ever since, uh, traveling. And I travel predominantly in Canada, probably 95%, speaking on issues that I often say I think we sometimes forget to talk about mental health is probably my largest conversation. That's also my struggle as well. I had a breakdown after finishing my master's, Uh, but mental health, parenting, which is my new conversations, and some of the tougher topics, pornography, sexuality, like how do we look at getting a biblical worldview of healthy sexuality uh, dating, media, and everything I do a lot these days is on a new talk I'm doing called Men Navigating Everything. I just posted mm. a video this morning on that, like looking at how do we as men look at being better men? Because it's so much like, I have eight categories I'm kind of looking at. it, like men, of fathers, husbands, you know, physical health, mental health, spiritual health, and just looking at how do we, how do we help men move forward? And so, uh, mm. yeah, traveling, I say traveling and speaker, you and I know that's kind of not really happening <laughs> a lot right now. So I'm that's more of a
0: pre-COVID.
4: Yeah, I'm now a Zoom and the Ecamm kind of speaker, but uh, <laughs> one day we back on the road. But yeah, that's a bit about me. Oh, I'm married with two kids. Uh, uh, my wife, Dawn, she's a nurse and my daughter Zoe's in first year university. She's at a school called Western and my son, Ben, is in grade 12. So both kids who've got a lot of loss in the past year.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I am just so grateful for all the topics you have leaned into. I first connected with you, it would have been over a decade ago, hearing you talk on media and what stood out to me uh, was, I expected, I was actually just graduated from high school and what I expected you to say was, here's what you're not allowed to watch, but what you did instead was you entered into a complicated conversation and you took your time and you tried to provide frameworks, trusting that us as listeners actually could could think about uh, real frame, frameworks around formation and how, who we're becoming and to evaluate it. And I, it just really stood out to me. I think what's been interesting watching you, uh, and I say serve the church because the stuff you're doing is serving not just church leaders, but the whole body. And then obviously people who aren't part of the church, um, you're always willing to kind of enter into a conversation that's a bit sticky. And like, did you know that that was going to be your bent early on or just became out of it? Because like, like you just said, you've gone after different topics. And I just want to know sort of like, what's the ethos there for you? Is that coming out of your wiring or is it just being like, oh man, that's where there's a gap? What's driving you to go after these certain topics?
4: I think both of those. I never even thought I'd be a speaker. I'm a kinesiology major. I was, then I did a Bachelor of Ed, so I would be a teacher. And then once I left teaching, I did the Arrow Leadership Program, and then I did a Master's at Wheaton Grad School in Evangelism and Leadership. Like, none of that is kind of preparing me for this. Now, I wish I'd done my Master's in Counseling. Mm. I think I'm still debating on doing that right now. But um, So I went into speaking, kind of seeing that gap, you know, uh, you know, began talking on media and then I moved in, I mean, this was a long time, ago, moved into more of the self-harm conversation, which now we would address under a mental health umbrella. But uh, Bill Heibel's he has a book called Holy Discontent, which was really foundational in what I do. What is that thing that bugs you, hmm. right? Whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's some of those just natural frustrations we have, and then go and feed it, like go and hmm. you know learn about those topics. And so each time I find a new topic now, you know, my newest ones on men before it was parenting, which is why I kind of made a talk and a new book. And now it's looking at, you know, my most searched term on YouTube and my website is how to be a better father and husband. So it's like, well, mm. how do I find those people and how do I help them? How do I say connect their ancient faith with their modern world? That's kind of where I always, yeah. my ethos is that's what I'm looking at. How do I help people bridge those things? How do we connect our Sunday with our Monday and the rest of our life?
0: Hmm. We're going to include links to all the stuff you're talking about in the show notes. Uh, but I've, I've just referenced your work. Like if I'm ever tasked with the responsibility of entering into a conversation as a youth pastor, as a pastor, whether it's self-harm, whether it's uh, mental health, these conversations come up. I'm always citing your work mm. as because a, as a, what, what you've done. Uh, Not as like a professional in one of these areas, but as a learner, you've entered in, read the body of literature, come out the other side with some clear thinking. This is what you do really well. And I just really commend really all of your work in that way um, because you've really distilled down the broader conversation, makes it accessible. It's a great starting place and uh, really good application. The book that Mm. I want to highlight today is your newest one, and uh, it's on parenting, parenting, navigating everything and i love that the title is everything because the book feels like an everything book it's not a short book it's a it's no. a textbook um and uh, i just want to hear about the process of writing this were you always planning on it being this big <laughs> and uh and like yeah tell me about the journey and obviously it comes from a personal story you've got you mentioned you have teenage kids and so tell us a bit about the project
4: it was kind of uh, so i realized so I, I had one talk three years ago roughly three years ago and i finished speaking on mental health and i walked a father like happens after so many talks and he said hey can i ask you a question i said sure he said how do i talk to my daughter about sex great question like let's enter that mess, right and so i went to answer and he interrupted me and he goes oh wait one sec by the way she hates me and it was one of those moments i paused for a sec and then i said what do you mean she hates you and he said oh forget about that like how do i talk to her about sex i'm like no dude wait a sec What do you mean she hates you? Because that's everything. If you don't have a relationship with your kid, you will not be speaking truth and you will not have that influence you want in her life. And I drove home that night and I realized that I don't do anything helping parents have that foundation with their kids. I'm a topical speaker and I think there's a role for topics, but I realized that I'm missing the foundation. So I began, you kind of mentioned that I I read bodies of work. So, I mean, for each talk I do, I read 50, 70, 100 books. It takes me a long, like I've been speaking 23 years and I have six or seven talks. And so I began reading on parenting and I created. Uh, so the goal was to do, how do we talk about foundations? And this is actually the book. Like it's a 226,000 word, 660 citations. I wanted lots of voices uh 16 chapters but the goal was the first six so looking at parenting styles like what are they which ones should like of course christian parenting we want our kids to love jesus but there's lots of other styles of parenting some we should do more some we should do less um time what does it mean to spend time with our kids and especially during covid right now like a lot of parents are home how do we do that Uh, what does rich communication look like do our kids only think we love them when they're, you know, following our rules and getting good grades? What does unconditional love mean? And then discipline—how does that work? And I'm a firm believer that we get discipline wrong a lot. I think discipline's about teaching. It's—it's it's not about punishment. And too often we think discipline is punishment. And so that was kind of—and the idea to a progression of parenting. I mean, you have younger kids. How you parent. And even how I parent my teenager and my daughter away at university, it's different. There's a progression. And there's a book called The Anxiety and Phobia Workbook. It's one I promote a lot when I speak on mental health. And they had on the title kind of like like this, like all of these things, but dealing with mental health. And my wife said to me, well, you have that. And I'm kind of like, I think I do. And so like a chapter on like my, my media talk, Engaging the World Spiritual disciplines, you know, how do we look at media and social media? And then my mental health talk, there's a chapter on that. And then pornography, sexuality, dating. And then while I was researching, I realized there's a few things I should probably add in there. Um, uh, Finances and education was one. You know, how do we look at like engaging all of the world for Christ, right? Like, you know, we need people in every job, you know, from where you're at to where I'm at today. How do we help kids do that? uh, drugs and alcohol, which is becoming a growing issue, even in, within our church walls. And the chapter I never thought I would write is the last one. It's on loneliness. Hmm. And for me, other than my mental health struggles, loneliness has been something I've struggled with for a long time. And this is a church leaders podcast. Many of us as leaders, we struggle yeah. with the isolation of leadership. But in my research on parenting, young moms, incredible loneliness and isolation Mm. in marriage as I talk about you know relationship as husbands and stuff incredible kind of uh, loss and and then people with addictions like pornography and others again loneliness and alienation and so decided to kind of end with this bookend of how do we how do we take the ways we're lonely and look at combating that
0: oh man well it is a really, really incredible resource, and I'm just grateful. It's evidenced in looking through it myself, and me mean my, my wife, we're using it like a textbook. And I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you, Brett, and the contribution you make, and uh, we'll make it really easy for everyone to get access to this, and just thanks for all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, huge gratitude to Aaron. Alistair, Andy, and Brett for jumping on with us. I'm just realizing now three A names and a B name all guys called at the beginning of the alphabet obviously irrelevant information but that is what i'm thinking about coming to the end of this week uh, as i mentioned in each interview if you want to connect more with one of them or order their books or find out more about the ministries you can find everything you need on the show notes to this episode at ccln.ca and hey if you enjoyed this episode like this format of having four conversations please let us know we love hearing from you because we do this to serve you as a church leader and so even the website is we build the show notes for each episode we're not just trying to create more content for its own sake we're trying to serve and support you and connect you with practical resources as you navigate the waters of this season and life in ministry now next week we're releasing another special episode that we've been looking forward to for a while we're calling it the best of 2020 our team has put together a compilation of our favorite moments on the podcast from this past year and 2020 has been I think, to say the least, a unique year. I don't even know how to describe this year, but we're coming to the end of it. And over this last year, our team has released 40 episodes of this podcast, each week sitting down with some leading voices of churches across Canada and around the world. And they've all shared really profound wisdom and experience as they're navigating this time in life in ministry. And so we're excited to share some of those inspiring and thought-provoking clips from those conversations. We hope it encourages you as you listen along. Okay, that is all from us today. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you soon.